Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The New Statesman. This episode of the New Statesman podcast was recorded in front of a live audience at the New Statesman's Politics Live conference on the 27th of June, 2023. To pre-register for next year's conference, visit the website nsmg.live. My name is Zoe Grunewald and I am a political reporter here at the New Statesman. This afternoon, I have the pleasure of talking to Stephen Flynn. Stephen, it's been over seven months since you were elected as the new Westminster leader of the SNP. It's been quite an eventful period. I think that's fair to say. Sturgeon's left her post. You've got a new leader. And of course, there's been a police investigation, which I know we can't talk about today. What's the mood like in your party right now? I'm just surprised to hear it's been seven months. It feels like a lifetime on certain occasions. But joking aside, I, I actually think we're in a pretty positive space. So on Saturday... In Dundee, the SNP met, we had a convention on independence. And I think it was really important for us to come together as a party and really reflect on where we position ourselves for the general election next year. And in Hamza Youssef, we've got a, a Western European first. We've got a Muslim leader of a nation and the first Muslim leader of, of Scotland, a, a phenomenal character. I don't know if anyone's seen the convention on Saturday, but Hamza did something which I don't think I've ever seen a political leader do. He was heckled during his, his main speech. And normally you see someone, a big squaddy, come and pull someone out. We've all seen it at labor conferences in the past, uh, get rough and tumbled out the door. Uh, Hamza stopped his speech and walked over and comforted the person who was heckling him and agreed to meet with her later on to have a chat about the very serious issue that she wanted to raise. And that was a sign of the person that, that he is. He's a very welcoming, positive, engaging individual. And the leadership he showed on Saturday was phenomenal. I don't think it would be replicated anywhere else on, on these aisles. And subsequent to that, we got the detail, which is that a vote for the Scottish National Party at the next general election will be a vote for an independent Scotland. It's line one, page one of our manifesto. It's, it's our reason d'etre. And... As we go into that general election, I'm quite confident. We've had a we've had a challenge in a few months, to say the least. I don't think I need to do chapter and verse to everyone in this room now. But it's been tough uh, at certain points. But despite that, we still have a, a fairly comfortable lead in the polls. And of course, the independence number, which is the most important thing for many of us, is absolutely rock solid in those polls. So we need to really re-engage with that yes movement, make sure that independence is front and center and offer 
the people of Scotland the thing that they want the most, which I think everyone in the UK wants the most at this moment in time, which is change. And we are the party of change in a, quite a dramatic way, but we are the party of change. We are the most pro-European party in the House of Commons as well, unashamedly pro-European. We want Scotland to be at the heart of the European project. We want immigrants. We want more people to, to come and live and work in Scotland to get our economy to thrive, to enhance us culturally and socially. So we've got a very positive message of change and I think the people of Scotland will certainly come back to us in their droves and I'm pretty confident ahead of the general election, yeah. Nicholas Sturgeon had said that the SNP would have a mandate to open independence negotiations with the UK if you won more than 50% of the popular vote in Scotland. Your new leader, Hamza, has said you have a mandate if you win more seats. Why have you changed the goalposts? Of course, the position that Nicola put forward at the start of the year, we were due to have a conference. That conference didn't happen because Nicola obviously chose to step down as First Minister and party leader, something which came as a little bit of a shock to quite a lot of us at that moment in time. But you know, the position that we've got at the moment, I think, is a pretty clear and concise one. As I say, page one, line one of the manifesto, a vote for the SNP will be a vote for independence. And what we're really saying to the UK parties is that if the people of Scotland give us a mandate, if we win the most seats in Scotland, as is generally recognised as winning in a first-past-the-post election, uh, then we will seek to give democratic effect to that vote. Now, that may well be independence, that may well be an independence referendum, but it's very much for the UK parties to outline how they're going to respect Scottish voters and what Scottish voters want. And I get a wee bit frustrated if I'm honest about the fact that we are constantly chived over process how are you going to to deliver independence if this is a union of equals as we are told is all the time then I think it's now time for the UK parties to prove it under what terms is Keir Starmer going to allow the people of Scotland to decide their own future it's a very basic democratic question it's nothing more and nothing less And it's absolutely right that we put it at the heart of our general election strategy. But the position at the minute with both Labour and the Conservatives is that they won't grant powers for a second referendum. So how do you proceed? What do you do then? Yeah, and so I think this goes to the nub of the issue, does it not, that you have a Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, who unashamedly doesn't want Scotland to have a say over its own future. The concerning thing, I think, for all of us would be whether Keir Starmer does indeed uh, agree with that. Now, if Keir Starmer wants to come north to, to Scotland and tell all of us that Brexit, he can fix Brexit, uh, he can't, Brexit is broken Britain, it cannot be fixed. If he wants to come north to Scotland and say, we don't want additional migration into Scotland, we're not bothered about the, challenge that you, the challenges that you face in your public sector and your private sector, then I don't think that's going to go down particularly well. But perhaps most important of all, if he comes to Scotland and tells voters that he just like the Conservatives, is going to ignore the democratic will of the people of Scotland, then that's quite the message to to send. And I think that Keir Starmer will subsequently be sent quite a strong message by the Scottish public in the ballot box. Are you in conversations with Starmer? We've obviously spoken in passing, but I don't think anyone would be surprised to to know that, no, we're not in conversations. I'm not expecting to have a a blether with Keir about these things in, in advance of a general election. Of course, if we end up with a minority Labour government, things might change, but we'll have a look at uh, those cards once they're dealt. If there is a minority Labour government or indeed minority Conservative government, the SNP could really have a very pivotal role in the next two years. 
How would you be prepared to use your position then to achieve independence? I mean, would you prepare to vote down legislation? Would you be prepared to vote down a King's speech? There's a lot of ifs in there. And I think it's important, firstly, to, to recognise the fact that if Keir Starmer doesn't have a majority of votes from England in the House of Commons, we don't vote on English matters. So if Keir Starmer wants to push through his legislative agenda in the House of Commons when it comes to English-only matters, he's going to have to find some allies. We, we will not vote on matters of planning law in England, but it's not for me as a Scottish politician to, to tell people in England what should be happening in, in their constituencies that impact their lives on a daily basis. But, but look, our asks to Keir Starmer would be pretty simple. We respect the democratic view of the people of Scotland. I would like to think that Keir Starmer's a Democrat. I would like to think that as Prime Minister, he wouldn't want to replicate the stance of Boris Johnson, Theresa May, Liz Truss and, and Rishi Sunak. Maybe I'm expecting too much, but I would like to I would like to hope that as a Democrat, he would understand the power of the people being allowed, allowed their voice. And that's an important thing for me. And that would, of course, be the, the forefront of everything we'd be talking about. Mm. Final question from me. Your party is obviously very unashamedly pro-EU. How would you attempt to influence a future government's position on the European Union and would you push for the whole of the UK to rejoin the EU? I think it's a very sad thing that the UK is no longer within the EU. I think when we look at the polls, not just in Scotland, where 72% of people want to be back in the European Union, but polls elsewhere in the UK that folk want to be back in. And one of the reasons, notwithstanding the economy, notwithstanding migration, is the fact that the horizons of a generation of young people have been narrowed by a conservative party which you know in my view are, are out of time and they're out of touch and i would love to see the uk go back and i don't think that's going to happen I, I think that keir starmer even contemplating that would result in a damaging effect for him in the polls so he just won't go near it even if he does believe it which i think he probably does he doesn't want to even countenance the prospect of that what i would like to see in the meantime before scotland regains its full membership is for scotland to have the same access that northern ireland has to the single market why is it the case that when scotland votes to remain we don't have access to the single market but northern ireland does now of course there's there's specific difficulties on the island of ireland which i think everyone is fully aware of but again from a basic democratic point of view if it's possible in northern ireland then why is it not possible for scotland we're putting scottish businesses at a disadvantage and that's a very regrettable position for us to be in and i wish we weren't there the interview continues after the break new statesman subscribers can listen to all our podcasts ad free via the new statesman app it's available to download on ios and android the links are in the episode description. To get access to all our content from just £1 a week, visit newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm now going to ask you some questions from the audience. So first question is quite a punchy one. 
A party in power for 13 years with a patchy domestic record. Its former leader under investigation. How is the SNP different to the Tories? We've been in power for more than 13 years, is, is point one in that regard. Look, there's, in terms of our domestic records, firstly, because I think it is worth addressing this point, we've got challenges within our NHS, but we have the best performing health service in the entire UK. If you are a young person in Scotland, you get access to 1,140 hours of early years childcare. When you go to school, you get a free school meal. When you want a bus pass, you'll get a bus pass. When you go to university, you will have your tuition fees paid for you, unlike anything in England and very much unlike what Keir Starmer's proposing. As you grow up, you will have access to free personal care. You will have access to free prescriptions. You'll have access to free eye tests and so on and so forth. Council tax is lower in Scotland. No matter which way you look at it, we have tried to be as progressive as we possibly can within the confines of devolution and the fact that we have to operate to ostensibly a, a fixed budget, notwithstanding some of the variations in income tax levels. So we've tried to be as progressive as we possibly can. There is no bedroom tax in Scotland. We spend £800 million, I believe it is, each and every year mitigating against the likes of the bedroom tax and other Tory policies. We could not be further from the Conservatives, notwithstanding the nature of the question, which I did, I did quite enjoy. But we're a progressive party who look to protect people and we want to go one step further and give them a choice over their own future to offer real change and a bit of hope. Well, you'll be pleased to know this next question. The person agrees with your analysis. They say you're the UK's premier progressive party. In practice, would you vote with Labour and the Lib Dems to keep the Tories out of Westminster? Look, I'm a, I'm a lad for a scheme in Dundee Admittedly, I went up to Angus, which is a little bit more on the countryside than Dundee is, but there's nothing that I enjoy more in politics than seeing the Conservatives get beat. Having won a seat off the Conservatives, it was moderately satisfying, I have to say. They have not governed or been elected in Scotland since 1955. Think about that, 1955 is the last time the Tories won a popular mandate in Scotland, and yet we continue to get stuck with them and the dregs of their policies, whether that's Thatcher, whether that's austerity, whether that's Brexit, whether that's Liz Truss crashing the economy, whether that's Boris Johnson, whether that's Rishi, Rishi Sunak, and I don't even know what Rishi Sunak's up to at the moment. We were looking for a more positive future, and I'm not ever going to be in a situation where I countenance putting the Conservatives into power. Under no circumstances would I ever do that. Not least because of the fact my dad would probably give us a proper good kick if I did, and, and understandably so. So is that a yes? It's a yes to the fact we will never, ever seek to put the Conservatives into power, absolutely. Although I'm often wondering where Keir and Ed Davies sit on some policy issues which are very centre-right, to say the least. Okay, thank you. When it comes to the Brexit referendum, people often argue a second referendum undermines democracy. Why is that any different for a second independence referendum? It's massively different. So in, in 2014, I remember chapping doors and at the same time, the no campaign were chapping doors and they were telling people that if you stay in the UK, then you will stay within the European Union. How's that worked out? We were told by Gordon Brown that we would get to as close to federalism as possible. How's that worked out? There has been significant material change on these aisles in terms of the constitutional makeup of the UK. I think it's only apt and fair that the people of Scotland get to, to have their say on that. And the democracy is not a one-day event. It is, it's a continual process. 
and we treat it as a one day event and say that's something that you've decided and it's going to be that way forever, then that does an, an injustice to democracy at its most basic level. And I think it removes a little bit of hope that people might have for the future and the ability to change things for the better. What is the SNP's plan for a further independence referendum if Westminster refuses to allow one again after the next general election? Well, well of course, this goes back to what we were discussing on, on Saturday at our convention, that we are going to seek from the Scottish people a mandate. We're going to seek to, to win the most seats on the basis that we are able to put to effect the fact that a vote for the SNP is a, is a vote for independence. And if I, if I may, I'm not quite sure who's asked that question, but if I may, that's a question for Keir Starmer. It's not a question for me because it is for the UK government to outline how and why they would reject the democratic view of the people of Scotland once again. We kind of expect it from the Tories in Scotland. We expect them to ignore our views. They've done it for generations. Do we expect the same from Labour or should we hold them to higher standards? I think that's a big question. The deposit return scheme and the short-term let's license system have both been delayed in Scotland and been criticised. Do you think the SNP has a business problem? So the deposit return scheme has, <laughs> has it's obviously had some folk who are critical of it. But the last time I looked to public opinion on this, public opinion was very much in favour of a deposit return scheme. And I think the UK government intended to bring one in, just not as soon as we were hoping. The reason why the deposit return scheme was canned, for want of a better phrase, is because the UK government sought to interfere in the devolution process. They've sought to override it using the Internal Market Act. And that's an incredibly dangerous moment for devolution. Now, that phrase, the dangerous moment for devolution, was used by Mark Drakeford, not in relation to the deposit return scheme, but in relation to the gender recognition reform bill. Um, because what that was, again, the same thing. It was Westminster overreaching into devolved policy areas. Now, that poses a real and present threat to devolution. And that's not something that, that we should talk about without really thinking about the consequences of it and for the democratic process on these aisles. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the premise of the question. I think, again, it's very much one that the UK ministers should be asking in terms of why they sought to dive into to Holyrood's business. If Holyrood decides something, then surely Holyrood should get the go-ahead to do it if it sits within devolution, which we believe that this firmly does. I've got a few people here asking about the NHS in Scotland. So one person says, as a Scot, I want to know what the SNP are going to do about the NHS. Under Sturgeon, there has been a lot of regressions, including A&E waiting times. Genuinely, I don't think anyone would shy away from the challenges that we have within the NHS. It can be a very challenging situation for a lot of people. And I'm very familiar through my own casework and indeed through some of my own personal experiences of the difficulties that that people are facing. I would obviously just push back gently and say that we do still have the best performing A&E in, in the entire UK, as I understand it. And whilst it's probably a low bar, it's still something that, that we should reflect upon in the wider context. One of the biggest challenges that we have is not just the fact that we have the backlog from the pandemic, which of course is still impacting upon, upon primary care. We have an aging population in Scotland and the knock-on impact of that is, is causing us severe difficulties. Why we sought to be constructive with the UK government during the Brexit negotiations to try and devolve some immigration powers to Scotland so that we could meet some of our demographic challenges going forward. But on that, that issue of migration, what's something that we don't probably talk about enough is that many of the challenges that exist within our NHS don't actually 
derive from the NHS, they derive from our social care system and the fact that we're not able to get people out of the NHS and into a social care setting. Now in Scotland, that's primarily driven through the fact that we simply don't have enough people working in the social care sector. And one of the reasons that we don't have enough people working in the social care sector uh, any longer is because of Brexit, because of the ending of freedom of movement. So whilst we are trying to invest record, where well, we are investing record sums in, in the NHS, whilst we are opening major trauma centres, whilst there is obviously a great deal of work going on in, across local health board areas to try and bring down waiting list times and targets, we're doing it with one arm tied behind our back because ultimately if we don't have enough people either working within the social care setting or the GP setting or indeed in the hospitals themselves, then how are you expected to, to achieve what you're wanting to achieve? And again, that bears out just real frustration at not just the Conservative Party, but the Labour Party and their position in relation to migration. There's a couple of people on here suggesting that the SNP's focus on independence might be distracting slightly from delivering kind of effective public services. Do you think there's any truth in that? No. And, you know, I think independence is in many ways essential to protecting some of those public services that, that we're talking about when it comes to protecting the NHS and making sure that it is purely in public hands, I can guarantee that we'll not be using the private sector in the way that the Conservatives want to. I would suggest that perhaps Wes Streeton has made some very concerning remarks in relation to the use of private healthcare in the, in the NHS setting as well. We want public sector services to, to be strong and robust and we want to have an economy that allows us to, to fund them properly and drive them forward because they're key to the fabric of our, our society. But independence is, in my view, one of the ways that we can best protect our public services, for sure. Someone here says, the UK does not have a codified constitution. Referendums in the UK are very poorly run. There is no independent information for voters. How do you think this can be improved? We could have a written constitution for a start. And I know that we'd have one in independent Scotland, as the Scottish government set out last week. And that constitution would have many things within it in terms of protecting human rights, protecting the, the rights of individuals to express their, their their views, the protection of the NHS, workers' rights, and so on and so forth. I think that should be the heart of any democratic society's makeup. And we would want that to be the heart of Scotland and independent Scotland's makeup too. In terms of independent information and analysis, I guess that comes back to what do you, what do you see as independent? Everyone's got a wee, a, wee, a wee tinge of their own bias when it comes to expressing their views. I think what you need to do is if you have an argument and you want to take that argument to the people, you need to be confident about it in terms of sharing the information that's in front of you and being able to evidence the basis on what you're saying things so that we don't have situations where folks stick 350 million quid a week on the side of a bus and lie to the public about what can be achieved. We're producing a number of papers at the moment through the Scottish government trying to outline how an independent Scotland would take things forward in certain areas. I think that's a grown-up, clear and measured way of doing it. And I would like to think that can set the backdrop for the referendum when it comes. And we can we can have a constructive debate about the constitutional makeup of the UK. I obviously believe in something really strongly. I recognise the fact that others don't. And we've got to take those folk with us. Because uh, if Scotland is independent, then those folk are still going to be living in Scotland. And there is much as much a fabric of society as what those of us who believe in independence are. They're as valuable as anyone else. So we need to make sure that the, the debate that we have, like when we disagree, we're not being disagreeable and that we have a positive and inclusive case for going forward and that then when we do 
hit that point now, I think we will, that we take everyone with us together. Final question, and I think I might know the answer to this, but will you accept the end of the independence journey if the anti-independence parties gain a clear majority of Scottish seats at the next general election? How will I best work <laughs> this? I'm not aware of any politician who loses a general election simply saying, that's it, I'm going home and taking my toys away, and that's me till day dot. The independence movement, we we believe in something. I accept not everyone in this room will, I accept that not everyone in Scotland does, but we believe in something, we believe in and hope for a better future for our young people. We believe the best way to, to achieve that is is through independence. And I'll continue to believe in that and I'll continue to fight for what I believe in the exact same way that I would expect those folk who disagree with me to continue to believe in what they believe and to continue to fight for what they believe in. And, you know, ultimately it'll be for the public to, to decide. I just hope they land on our side, that's for sure. Thank you. It's a good note to end on. That's all we have time for, unfortunately. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your fascinating insights. I'm sure everyone will join me in thanking you. Thank you. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with Zoe Grunewald and her guest, Stephen Flynn. Anush and the team will be back on Thursday.